Marini's Media. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up on the show, it's the international break, but it's been busier than ever off the pitch in the league. Spurs and West Ham have made changes at the top. We'll discuss the fallout in just a moment. We'll also hear from former West Ham manager Matt Beard. Plus, we hear from the team with WSL ambitions. Durham currently sit top of the championship and their manager Lee Sanders joins us. Welcome along. I'm Lindsay Hooper. And I'm Kate Borsay. And this week we're joined by BBC Sport journalist, soon-to-be Telegraph Sports Women's football reporter, Tom Gary. And we have to start by saying congratulations on the new job. Oh, thank you very much. And thank you for having me on the pod today. Yeah, your first time. Yes, it's very nice to be asked on and it's great to speak to you. What a, what a week to be on as well after such a, an interesting developments with the managerial situations in the WSL. So, yeah, looking forward to, to our chat. This is going to be fantastic. Brilliant. We can't wait to get going with you today, Tom. Uh, we're also delighted to say that we're joined by Crystal Palace and former Spurs keeper Chloe Morgan. Welcome to the podcast to you as well, Chloe. You're a lawyer, of course. I'm, I'm just wondering how many lawyers there are in the world of football. I can think of any Aluko. I don't know how many more there are. Um, I think that might be it. It's uh, it's quite a challenge <laughs> trying to balance um, both of them. So um, it's not something to be taken lightly. But but no, I'm enjoying the 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 aspect of having both both careers. Does that mean we can expect um, sitting on the fence, reasoned arguments for both sides? <laughs> Absolutely, you should be fighting the cause. <laughs> <laughs> Is it right that you were inspired by Erin Brockovich? Yeah, I think I watched the film, um, I think when I was about 11 or 12 years old. Um, and Julia Roberts just fascinated me as a character, the kind of, you know, David and Goliath situation. And um, yeah, from then I, I kind of just aspired to, to get into law and, and to sort of fight and, and argue and champion causes and kind of ended up just doing it. And at the same time, also playing football. So um, I've been quite lucky, really, in, in how things have developed. And in a way, I suppose football being part time for you has meant that you've got this this kind of really good other side to your um, to your career. Do you think if you'd been full time from the very start, you would have gone for football or gone for law? Are you doing law because the football couldn't be a full time thing at that stage? Oh, that's such a difficult question. (laughs) Um, Because they're both great careers, aren't they? I don't think I'd know which one to choose. Um, I think my logical mind would say law because there's sort of more longevity in it, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but my heart is always with, with football. I mean, the feeling you get from being on the pitch is just amazing and you just can't replicate that anywhere. So I don't know. I think my younger self would probably go for football if I could. We are using this international break um, to be able to shine more of a spotlight on the championship. And we'll, we'll go into more detail in just a sec. I think, Chloe, starting with you, seeming as you play there now for Palace, currently seventh, just wondered how, how life is in the, in the second tier of women's football. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a tier that I'm familiar with, um, having played with Spurs a couple of years previously. And, you know, it's one of those quite difficult challenging leads, really. I mean, you've got this balance of, you know, full time, um, teams like Leicester City, um, London Lionesses, uh, now in kind of full time professional setups and, and you're competing with those on a, on a weekly basis. So, you know, it's a very challenging league. There's only one spot to, to obviously get to, to WSL level. And, you know, the teams really this year, there's a, there's a bit of investment about and there's definitely ambition from quite a few teams seems to, to push upwards. So I'm enjoying the challenge. It's, it's good fun. We're going to talk more about the championship later on in the pod. But first, we should get to managerial matters. 
The heating's on, it's getting darker earlier and earlier, so why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week. For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. Okay, well, there may be no WSL action on the pitch for the next two weeks, but that doesn't mean it's been quiet off it. West Ham United's head coach, Matt Beard, left the club by mutual consent. This was the first thing to happen in what was a very busy day in the end. He joined the Hammers back in June 2018 before their first season as a fully professional club. You have to recall as well, they reached the FA Cup final last year. But he's overseen just one win in seven league games this campaign and felt it was time that both moved separate ways. There hasn't been an appointment to replace him yet. I guess we start, Chloe and Tom, by asking whether you were surprised by him leaving um I think it's been a you know he's been been at the club now for for two or three years um and I think that the atmosphere at the club with him there has been fantastic I mean the girls have a lot of respect for him you can just see that in the way they've responded to to him leaving West Ham this year you know and he's he's, he's done well I mean you know just reaching the the FA Cup final at Wembley last year I mean that's a fantastic achievement for, for West Ham who, who are pretty fresh into the WSL I do feel quite sad to, to see him go. He's one of those old old faces that has been around been around the block a few times. But you know, I think West Ham are probably looking to maybe freshen things up and, and get in some new perspectives. So a little bit surprised, but I think there's there's a lot of changes obviously with WSL this year. So they probably need to keep up with with the pace. Tom, there was that nine one loss at home to Arsenal in September when Jelly Flaherty got sent off too. It's been a really tough season for them, and I think you can sense the frustration from Matt Beard, and I'm sure there's frustration behind the scenes as well. He's gone by mutual consent, and it really is mutual consent. I think both parties agreed um, that actually they'd reached the end of the road, and you could sense that as well. That Matt Beard, not that he's run out of options, but just that it wasn't going to go his way and there was nothing that he could do in terms of personnel or what goes on on the training field that was going to set about a reverse in fortunes. No, I think that's fair. And I think Matt did a very good job with the with the resources that he had available. Um, but I, th- I think that one of the big problems that this team have had is defending for a long time now. I don't think... Um, necessarily, we should just focus on 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 that nine one example. But I, um, the, the last time West Ham kept a clean sheet in the Women's Super League was September twenty nineteen, which is a very long time, and that was actually their only clean sheet in the in the calendar year of twenty nineteen in the league. They they let in uh, thirty four goals in last season's shortened season, and only Bristol City had a, a leakier defence, and that Liverpool went down with with twenty goals, and West Ham conceded thirty four. So um, that for me has been a real problem area, and for however hard West Ham have tried, they've just not been able to to tighten that defence up. So uh, it's very sad news because you'll have to go a long way to find a more popular man in the game than Matt Beard. But I think this had been on the cards for a little while. He, he felt the time was right. I think the club probably felt the time was right as well. And um, and, and they've got such high expectations. And, and that's, that's great to see the ambition uh, in terms of the attitudes and wanting to be competing at the top, but it's very, very difficult to do that. Uh, mm. And I think they will struggle to find anybody who can who can do a better job than what Matt was doing. Well, let's talk about that and the ambitions, Tom, because it's a good point you make about the defending. And often, I mean, we've mentioned on this podcast that often West Ham would concede before they sort of jerked into a response and an, and an action. And that seemed to be part of the problem with this consistency. But I guess another thing is, is to do with the ambition. It's to do with the resources that he's 
had at his disposal, which have been pretty vast for, for clubs in WSL to get the signings that he managed to bring in. There has been quite a bit of money spent and, and the club have done a lot behind the scenes as well uh, with, with the way that the women are training there, Rush Green developments. I, I think it has all been coming into place for them to want to aim a bit higher than where they currently are in the table, which is ninth. And I guess you look around them and you look at Aston Villa and Bristol City, which are below them, which you think there is a real gulf in their resources compared to West Ham. And then you've got Brighton and Birmingham above them, who I imagine West Ham feel they should be aiming to be above those teams, given the backing that they've had. Um, And the only other team you can pick out being in a similar situation to them is Spurs and they went and did exactly mm-hmm. the same thing and got rid of their managers which we'll move and on, on the to. same but day do you think yeah do you think that's all part and parcel of it well I'll tell you one thing I never forget which um, was, was the pre-season media day before the 2019 to 20 campaign so we're going back about 15 months here uh, and uh, it was one of those days where members of the, the, the press uh, sort of interview people from all the clubs across the league around the course of the day uh, and it's a, it's a great day interesting day but from West Ham one thing we really noticed was that everybody we spoke from West Ham mentioned at least two or three times in their answers that they wanted to win the league. They thought they, were, they thought they could win the league, which actually struck us as very surprising at the time, just because of the dominance that Arsenal, Chelsea, and Man City have had since 2015 on this division. For anybody to, to outside of those three to say they, they were aiming to win the league, I thought was was a big statement. Um, now, on the one hand, I really admired that attitude of kind of you know we're starting a new season, we're here to win it. But on, on the same at the same time, it, it it was very strange because unless you unless you're going to come in with a five or, or six million pound a year budget, realistically, can you really do that? Um, and I, I was quite surprised by by, by that that attitude last season. I think we're going to see this season how hard it is for anybody to to topple Chelsea, Arsenal, and Man City, Man United, and Everton are going to give it a really good go. But um, on yeah, I, I think that's very difficult. Okay, well, there's some interesting points there and we've been really lucky. We've managed to grab Matt for a quick chat. Matt, thank you very much for joining us on the Offside Rule. Um, It must have been quite a tough week all in all for you, but I I just wondered, first of all, how you came to the decision to depart West Ham. There was numerous reasons. It wasn't just one. I just felt that I needed a change and I think the club needed a change as well. And the results, obviously, the start of the season wasn't as we sort of anticipated or expected, um, especially after such a positive pre-season. We had a little bit of bad luck with personnel at the start of the season, which which didn't help. But um, yeah, there was, just, there was just numerous things really. There wasn't one thing specifically. And you know, I had a good chat with Jack on on Sunday after the Brighton game. We met on Tuesday and sat down and spoke face to face, and um, you know, we decided it was best that. You know that, that I move on, and um, you know I'm really grateful for the opportunity there because it was an unbelievable project. Yeah, the the statement that you put out said it all. Really, you you put a a, a personalised statement on Twitter amongst other social media, I'm sure, um, yeah. and and you made it clear that the, the club had been ever so supportive during this pandemic. That they really yeah. backed you, and and you haven't got a bad word to say really in that regard. No, no, not at all, not at all. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time there. It was. Uh, it was a unique project. I mean, if you look in the NWSL, you know, where you have like these expansions, uh, teams that come in, you've got to start from scratch and it's slightly different there. You know, if you look at um, Louisville, where they can go and pick other players, other teams' players, you know, we, we didn't have the opportunity to do that at West Ham. So it was a real, a real unique project. 
But no, the club, the club have been brilliant. And, and, you know, the one thing I will say is, especially during, like, the first lockdown, the support they gave, listen, not just, like, the teams, but just just the the staff as well at the football club in, in all departments was, was second to none. And, um, you know, Jack is that the owners of the football club. You know, they deserve a lot of credit for the way that they, the way that they treated everyone and the way that they handled it. Where do you ultimately feel that the team fell down a little? Because you've got so much experience. You've obviously won WSL titles. You've managed in America. You're very experienced. And I'm sure if you could have put it right, you would. Or is it one of those that you you just can't really put your finger on it? Listen, our, our form, we were just turning the corner. Our performances were good. Um, if you look at that Brighton game, we could have won that four or five. You know, the amount of chances we missed on that day. You know, the performances were, were okay at this point. But, you know, as I said, I just felt, you know, after sort of meetings and conversations over sort of the last month or so, I just felt that maybe I was wanted to go in a different direction to what the football club were. And um, as I said, I've, got, I've not got a bad word to say about anyone at the club. I've got nothing bad to say about the club. But I guess just over the conversations that I've had over the last sort of two, three, four weeks and on top of that, the way the season started, it, it, you know, I felt that was the best, best you know, for, for everyone. The ambitions at West Ham, um, Tom Gary, who we've had on the podcast, was saying that he, you know, he was talking to players at the beginning of the season and, and I know how you are in that regard and, and there were talk of wanting to try and you know, win WSL. Do you, do you think there has been a bit of a, a reality check on where all the other teams are at? Is that part of it? Listen, I think everyone plays a game in a sense of what you're going to say, you know, especially in the public domain. Uh, look, you've only got to look at the investment from the top, what I would class as a top five now. You know, you've had Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City for the last two, three, four years. That, but actually, since City come into it, really, you know, when I was at Liverpool, it's become like the men's Premier League to a certain extent. And then on top of that, now you've got Everton and, and Manchester United that have spent, you know, money on on their recruitment. And I, and, and I feel you've got a, probably a league of five there. You've probably got another. There's probably three leagues in the WSL now, and um, listen, I, I, I feel for, for for where West Ham are on their journey, and people have to remember this is only their third season as a professional team, and we're in a pandemic, and we never got to complete last year. So West Ham are competitive when it comes down to where they are, that numbers wise, but there's a massive divide now with that top five, and I would say, and you know, and with the rest of the teams in, in the division. Given all of that, do you think your personal highlight's going to be that FA Cup final last year? Yeah, definitely. I think if you look at that first year, you know, I think we started pre-season with 13 or 14 players. We added as we went throughout pre-season. And I put it in my statement, you know, our ambition was to be safe by Christmas and then we could put all our energy in, in, into, into the FA Cup. And that's a collective decision we made. As, as management and as, uh, as as a club, really, and yeah, it, was a, it was a unique journey. And I, I guess we had the documentary as well that was going on. So it, it, I guess that was fantastic for the documentary that we made it to Wembley. And um, it's funny because we sat down in a, in a meeting. I never get the meeting, and as I said to the girls, you know, like we're going to get to the cup final, and we put all our energy into getting to that cup final. And then when we got there, look, the first half performance we, we was good. We was good until the goal, right? Mm. imagine if I said we was going to win it it's, 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 it's just interesting it, that was a big eye-opener for me when you really set a target and a goal and everyone puts their their mind to it and it was just a big eye-opener but yeah no listen the FA Cup final was an amazing achievement 
disappointed we never got to see last season out because we had some really winnable games in that back end of the season. Everything had just started to click into place. I think the biggest thing in my time at West Ham is that we've we've had two big recruitment windows. So we've had to constantly keep changing the squad because we didn't have a lot of time in in year one. And with, with Brexit now, that makes that job at West Ham a lot tougher coming into the next transfer windows. Look, there's one stark difference, I suppose, because there was the news on the same day with Spurs uh, changing their personnel as well. But they had Rianne Skinner lined up and, and West Ham obviously haven't declared anything yet. Do, do you think that's going to be a disadvantage, not, not knowing where they're going yet? No, not really. Billy, who's in interim charge, is a very, very knowledgeable man. He's worked at the top level in the game. You know, so they're in good hands with Billy. It'd be great if he could get the job and I think that'd give the players and the club a little bit of consistency but look, that's not my decision and I wish him all the luck. Uh, for you personally, um, I know that you mentioned about spending a bit more time with the family. It's coming up to Christmas and it's perfect time for you to do that, I guess, and gather your thoughts. But I know how much you enjoyed managing out in the States. I, I just wondered whether you'll perhaps look abroad again this time. Uh, do you know what? This is probably the biggest risk I've ever taken in my life. You know, I've, I've left my job in a global pandemic. <laughs> look, look it, it, you know, it's true. It is, it's, it's a massive, massive risk. I'm not going to close the door on anything, you know. I have had a few agents reach out to me, you know. But for, for me, the most important thing is is that, you know, I've, I've had a few issues with, with, you know, with my son. And, you know, my wife was ill just before I resigned as well. So I just want to really put my time and energy into the family and especially in the short term. But listen, I don't want to be out of work for a long time, you know, so my door is open and I'm willing to listen. And I'm not going to I'm not going to shut the door, whether it's abroad, whether it's in England. You know, I'll, I'll keep my door open and, and, and listen to what's available. Well, I look forward to seeing you again, Matt. Always enjoy speaking to you and uh, hopefully you'll be back on the circuit again soon. But enjoy that family time in the meantime. Thank you very much. There you go. So hot off the press reaction there from Matt Beard speaking to Lindsay. What do you think about what West Ham do now, Chloe? And I won't involve you in any salacious gossip or anything, but of course people are talking about who might replace Matt Beard. Um, to be honest, I mean, it's, it's quite difficult. You, you know, you, you're quite a fair few games into the season. Um, there's not a lot of candidates, I think, around at the moment and there probably won't be until the end of the season. Um, so to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure where, where their next direction is going to be. West Ham are a, a big juncture here and they've got a choice, I think. And I, I, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about what their ambitions are. What do they want to be as a club? And if... If it's they, if it's that they want to try and and really compete to get in the Champions League and win trophies, then that's one thing. But if they're going to say, okay, that's going to be very hard to do that on our budget, so why don't they? They might try and go down an avenue where they look to play really attractive football, play a certain style of of football, and and for, if if that was the model they went down, then I think that I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them look at Mark Skinner, for example. Um, with style of play that he brought to Birmingham City a few years ago and is trying to bring in in Orlando. That's an appointment that would, for me, would show a, a clear plan that we're going to try and play football in a certain way. Uh, that, that's one option I think that they have to them. But my, my colleague Emma Sanders has, has written a story that uh, they've identified Carla Ward as their, their number one target. Uh, I can understand that, but I'd be very surprised if, if Birmingham were foolish enough to allow Carla Ward to leave with the job that she's been doing. I think um, if, if Birmingham have got their wits about them they're they're going to be 
saying to Carla Ward that she she can have whatever she needs for the January window. Uh, she was only able to name two subs a few weeks ago. She, I've no doubt she'll be banging that drum, asking for more resources to to strengthen, to you know, to increase the number of of players in her squad. Um, she's so soon into that job, it would be, I think, a bit odd to move on. But you could also understand it if if she is not being given guarantees that she can add to her squad. That would be very understandable. I, I'd be surprised, though, if it was Carla Ward. I, I think that West Ham are just embarking on this journey of searching for somebody. They've got the whole international break to, to do a really thorough job. I think they will, unlike Spurs, who, who had Rihanna Skinner uh, very much lined up, this was a West Ham search, from, from what I understand. It really started uh, on the morning of, uh, of Matt's departure, and um, and I think they'll be really thorough in their search. Um, but I think it comes down to them deciding what their identity wants to be as a football club this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more If you're after more WSL content this week to fill the void of no league action, then head over to The Athletic. We've got a series called The Next Big Thing. It's all about the future stars of football. And this week, it's all about Manchester City's Lauren Hemp. So for anyone wanting to know all about Hempo, it includes her playing with boys in Norwich. She got a big move to Bristol, her latest hobby as well. No spoilers here. Uh, so search for The Next Big Thing available in all good pod shops. I like that. Well, this is the Offside Rule WSL edition with myself, Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. We're joined on the show by BBC Sport journalist, soon to be of Telegraph Sport, Tom Gary, and also the Crystal Palace and former Spurs keeper, Chloe Morgan. Well, on the same day that Matt Beard left West Ham, guys, there was another departure. It was one of those where the phone kept pinging, didn't it, on Thursday last week? Uh, So across London, there were changes happening at your old club, Chloe, Spurs. Uh, Did you have any sense that was coming? I had absolutely no idea that was coming. Um, and, you know, I felt exactly the same way that everyone else did, that this is, you know, obviously obviously off the back of what, what's been happening at Spurs and, and, the, and the start to the season that they've had so far, um, you know, it's, it's been a difficult a difficult year for them. Um, but I wasn't in any way expecting that, that it would culminate in, in the loss of, you know, two stalwarts of, of, the, uh, of the management game. Yeah. Well, as you say, Spurs dispensed of their head coaches, Juan Amaros and Karen Hills. That happened on Thursday. They were immediately replaced by Rianne Skinner, who leaves her role as England assistant coach. Chloe, we didn't know that it was coming, but can you understand why the quick decision and also the enormity of the decision, really, with both those coaches having signed a new contract only back in September? I think it was, I think that was the most unusual aspect about it, that everyone thought that their jobs were going to be secure for the next couple of seasons. Um, you know, and they've been with the club now for, you know, 10, 11 years and, and they've been massive in, in how the, how the club's grown, you know, taking it really from amateur level to, to fully fledged, like professional side. It's, it's been amazing to, to watch and, and also be a part of that um you know and to kind of have the the statement that was released from from Tottenham Hotspur that they were relieved of their duties with immediate effect it was quite a um a harsh kind of harsh brutal ending really to to people who had really done 
wonders and, and magic for for the club so yeah I was definitely surprised um but obviously it's come off the back of you know some some quite poor results I think with with how Spurs have been this season you know one of them being the the draw against Bristol and I think they were really expected to to win that and that that be a game that they were going to pick up their first first win from but I think it was so disappointing then to to have that that last minute goal the last um the last minute sort of win taken away from them and then to go into the Conti Cup again and, and, and suffer a similar fate last minute with, with the penalty shootout with, with Arsenal. So I think that was probably the, the, essentially the, the nail in the coffin maybe for, for, um, for how things were going to go for, for Juan and Karen for the rest of the season. I think on a kind of more personal level, I thought it stank the treatment of, of Karen Hills and, and Juan Amaros um, that for the service they, they gave the, the, the football club over so long, appointing somebody, interviewing somebody uh, and lining them up before, uh, you know, letting Juan and Karen go, I thought was, I know we see it a lot in, in, in modern sports, um, but I thought that was fairly classless um, uh, given the service they gave the club. And I, I think that will really sadden a lot of people uh, with, the, with the way that they've essentially be been treated, but uh, as you as you say, that Spurs are, are hey they're 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 a professional football club. They're trying to get the best for the team, and and they obviously, you know, they're they're now giving Rianne this time now to 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 to, to train the, the players and, and get to know everybody, and that will serve them well going forward to have had a plan in action. But um, it still makes me it's a, it's a, it's a sad feeling uh, to see them go. I echo the same sentiments and the disappointment that I feel about how they were both released from from the yeah. club. And I think obviously when I was with Spurs and the kind of relationship that, that Karen and Juan had had together, I mean, we had just gone into WSL. I think we finished seventh in the end, obviously before things were, were cut short with, with the COVID restrictions. And at that time, I think things were working fairly well. I mean, it's, there's always going to be disagreements amongst managers and especially where you've got two very fiery personalities like you have in, in Karen and Juan. But, you know, up until the point that I left, things seemed to be working quite well essentially but I think it, there, there's always going to be difficulties and I think the real issue was you know you're going into this WSL season with a lot of fresh international amazing talent coming in so you've got the likes of you know Manche Manchester City, uh, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal making these massive signings and I think trying to compete at that level I think maybe required something a little bit more and you know you've got to take into account that, that Karen and Juan had only had the experience that, that we'd had in playing at championship and you know maybe they need someone more experienced who has that you know further WSO experience and has been there um you know for a number of years maybe to to really try and take the team forward but you know they, they did a great job um up until their departure um one of the things that I wanted to ask you Chloe was you'd been fairly outspoken about your your treatment and the way that you you saw things at Spurs when you were there do you think much has changed because I I know that in terms of equality and the sort of work that you're doing now as well with women in football it's obviously really important for you to to have teams having the right message going in the right direction I mean have you heard from within and the people that you still know there whether whether there has been a shift um I mean as far as I'm aware I, I don't think much has changed since, since my departure I think, you know, I was always very outspoken and tried to be as outspoken as I could within the team. But it's obviously very difficult when you're under contract to say too much against um, your employer at the time. But things like the training facilities and access to the same um, you know, training grounds and, and pitches that, that the men's teams had, I, I think that the, this, the situation is still very similar, um, which I think is quite disappointing really and I think you know if you do really want to, to progress the team and to push up into you know getting into the top five of, of WSL then you need the kind of basic infrastructure to be able to do that and to tell the girls that you know they're, they're important and that they deserve exactly the same access to, to the facilities that the men's 
team do, especially when you have a world-class facility like, like Spurs do. Let's talk about Rianne Skinner then. So she'd only recently been made Phil Neville's number two. Um, she's been um, with England a little while, though. She was at Arsenal before then, and she was the co-founder of Leicester City Women too. So she's got you know a very rich history in terms of women's football, and she looks like quite a canny operator as well. Tom, what, what have you uh, made of her? Well, Rianne's somebody who people speak about very, very highly within within the game. Um, somebody who's got a, a good reputation for her coaching work uh, under Laura Harvey, um, and mm. uh, and was lauded by those who work with her at Arsenal. But uh, managerially, we, we've we've certainly not um, seen very much of her yet. So I'm looking forward to seeing how you know what how her style will play out, what what sort of philosophy she she will bring. To Spurs, I'd obviously only very recently joined the the England setup under under, under Phil Neville, but this was somebody who who the FA uh, regarded very very highly, and and I know Phil Neville thought her very very highly as well on, on a personal level. So th- there's a lot of hope and expectation around the appointment, but um, it's it's going to be a difficult challenge because uh, it's the first time we'll see uh, Rian Skinner managing a, a fully professional side as the, the or as an, as the, the lead head coach. So that will bring challenges um, with itself and um, I suppose fans will, will hope it goes well. A different challenge, Tom, but one that does get underway very soon. So first fixtures after the international break on the 6th of December see Spurs at home to Brighton and West Ham are at Chelsea. Well, this is the Offside Rule WSL edition with Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper, the BBC's Tom Gary and Crystal Palace keeper Chloe Morgan. And with no WSL action this week and no internationals until the weekend, we're going to take the opportunity uh, to get into the WSL Championship. Arguably a more competitive league than the top flight. Just three points separate the top four teams. Durham are top uh, at the moment as we record this with 18 points. The only unbeaten side this season. We'll hear from their manager Lee Sanders in just a moment. Uh, and then come Leicester and Sheffield United both on 17 points so with Liverpool in fourth a further two points back it's tight up there isn't it Tom? Oh this is the most exciting title race uh, in, yeah. the, in the sport at the moment and um, it, it's great to see how, how how close and how even it is in the top four and not just the top four but Blackburn and Lewis aren't far behind either so it, it's a terrific league at the moment. It's often said Chloe that the, the two most important positions on the pitch are your position goalkeeper you know keeping goals out and the strikers who can get the goals in I mean that is that is all what football's about isn't it scoring goals and and preventing them Beth Heppel I wanted to talk about her she's the Durham forward who scored seven goals in seven matches to start the season it's got to be partly down to her and incredible form that she's in that they're, they're doing so well I mean, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't really like talking about Beth Heppel too much because I think she's definitely put a couple past me um, this season. Um, but no, I mean, credit to her. She she is a fantastic um, goal scorer, um, especially from set pieces. Um, she's just absolutely, you know, top class really for, for the league. Um, and I think, you know, Durham have been one of those teams that are, are, are very difficult to beat, very difficult to break down. And they've been in and around the top you know, second, third place at the championship for, for quite a number of years now. I mean, and they were, they were hot on our tails, um, when we were, um, competing for, for the WSL position, um, a couple of years ago back with them, um, with Spurs. So, you know, credit to them because they've always been, um, you know, a top performing team that they've definitely got consistency there. 
And Chloe, let's talk about Leicester City, um, one of the full-time sides in the championship. They've got, you know, a great record of scoring goals, uh, the most goals scored so far in the league, 24 they've scored so far, um, but goals against quite high as well. So they like knocking them in, but they like letting them in as well. Yeah, I think you know, Leicester City are one of those teams that, you know, this year is their, their first year as a, a fully-fledged professional um, setup. You know, and the, the performances that they've had this season have been have been fantastic, and the setup and the infrastructure has obviously vastly improved from from where it was a few years back. But I think that that's the issue with with this league is that you know you you might be a fantastic um, you know going forwards, but but defensively that that's what's going to kill you. And you know that's something that that we're um, working on at the moment with with Palace is you know we're we're pretty good up top, um, but we need to stop trying to um, you know we need to get those clean sheets basically because if we're not letting any in, then we're not losing games. What are your thoughts? on Sheffield, Liverpool and Blackburn. There's There's been a lot of, and you know, I've absolutely spoken about, out about it as well. There's been a lot of chat this week about Liverpool men moving to their new training base and there being no place for the women there, which, you know, I think to be quite frank is disgusting in this day and age. It doesn't pay respect to the legacy that Liverpool have in terms of women's football. They are league winners, for goodness sake. It could be so easy for them to get back to back to playing uh, you know really really good inspirational football and um starting to make a play in the WSL again but the club aren't making it making it simple for them at all yeah I mean it's hard to know what's going on behind the scenes really with that one I mean you know to, to everyone else on the, on the outside you're thinking well you've just built this fantastic new multi-million pound facility it's bound to have you know plenty of pitches plenty of training space gyms uh, swimming pools all kinds of things like that going on behind the scenes and you just think well it's not too much of a hassle really to, to bring in a, an additional team you're going to have the academy the boys teams there um why aren't you you know offering equal access to to those facilities for for your women's side D- doesn't this just reek though chloe of something that's within the game which is in in the male side of football will hero worship but on the women's side it's like a tap on the head oh yeah you go out and you can have a go you can have a little little try I think there's definitely a reluctance sometimes between uh, the men's teams and the women's teams I mean you know when you start to look at the relationship that the men's and women's teams have um, as, a, as a club as a, as a whole entity with you know the likes of Arsenal Man City Chelsea and how well they're doing I think it's there's a massive correlation there that the more cohesive the teams are the more well they seem to be doing um, and when you've got a situation where there's such disparity in, you know, the facilities, the the access to, you know, medical treatment, things like that, you, you will start to find that the women's teams are not going to perform as, as as well as you might expect for for you know for the big names like like Liverpool. Obviously, in the in the Championship at the moment, Liverpool are doing fairly well as you would expect them to, having just you know got acquired an experienced WSL side. But you know, behind the scenes, I just think it's so disappointing sometimes to. To have a situation where there, there seems to be so much inequality still going on. Well, I just think that uh, Liverpool Football Club should be embarrassed that they are not running away with this division. Um, and, 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 and that's not to say that the, there aren't good teams because there are excellent teams and it's testament to those other teams in, in the top half doing so well that why it's been so difficult. But Liverpool Football Club should be cruising this this league. They should not be in this league. They should be in the, the Women's Super League. And um, I, I think that anything but first place would be really a, a huge failure for them as a football club. Uh, and on the, on, on the training ground issue, I I think what uh, I, I can only echo what you've already said and what Chloe said. Um, I think that they really, that they really need to address that uh, as soon as possible because it just sends out the wrong message. 
But that just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Actually, the last I heard from Liverpool on it in, in sort of terms of a statement or anything, um, is that the, um, club owners said, um, that they, that they haven't ruled it out. So in other words, we're still working on it or go away and stop bothering us, please. <laughs> <laughs> One of those two. Um, a, a final word then on, on the women's championship at the moment from you both in terms of it brings us on nicely to this, this disparity between some clubs. Uh, Chloe, you play for a team that certainly doesn't have a fully professional setup and you're competing with the likes of Liverpool and Leicester now. And I'm, I think more and more teams are probably going to go that way. Can you see this golf opening up even more? And, and what does that mean for you as a player? Um, I definitely see the, the golf opening up. I mean, it's, it, it's logical and it makes sense that, you know, when you start to have professional outfits who are, you know, training five times a week, they're, they're going to have access to, um, you know, the gyms, uh, on, you know, when they go to the training sessions, they're going to have a better chance of recovery sessions as well. Um, you know, they're going to be fresher, um, and be able to, to put on better performances, uh, because they're going to have, you know, the benefit of having had many more hours of analysis and things like that. So, you know, I think it's it's very difficult when you compete against teams who will have the benefit of those additional hours um, sometimes. But, you know, it doesn't always work out. I mean, L- London City Lionesses have turned into a professional outfit this year. And um, I think though, last year, I think it was, that they, they turned into to, to full time. And, you know, things haven't gone exactly the way they, they anticipated. Um, but I think that might be maybe to do more with financial and, and resources. But... Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely an interesting, it's an interesting league. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's definitely challenging as a, as a part-time club to, to really look at ways to, to break down the, the, the sides who have the benefit of that, that additional training time. Well, let's hear from the team who are top of the league at the moment, Durham and their manager, Lee Sanders. Well, Lee, welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's great to get you on. Congratulations to Durham too. You find yourself at the top of the WSL championship. Very nice place to be. Yeah, it's it's a lovely place to be, but uh, we'll not get carried away. I think there's a long way to go. There's some excellent teams in the championship, and it's uh, as competitive as it usually is. Nice for the time being. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, we're there at the end of the season, but we'll uh, we'll we'll wait and see. Well, look, you held top flight side Aston Villa to a one-all draw last week in the Continental Cup. There's quite a big gap, I suppose, between both the teams. Tell us about Durham and, and sort of where you sit, if we're to paint a picture for our listeners, where you sit in terms of the other teams in the championship and how much backing you get. And then also uh, when you think about potentially making the leap up to, to the WSL. I think we, we, we've we grown as as the league's grown, truthfully. You know, we started off as, as one of the youngest teams in the league and now we're probably one of the older teams in the league. But that that growth has been very natural. The squad's been together pretty much for the last five or six years, the same players we have, you know, the odd player come in every now and again. So we're pretty much always competitive, you know, very hard team to break down, um, always there or thereabouts. And, the, you know, we'll be the same this season as well. Um, the championship has grown. There's some excellent teams in there, excellent players, excellent staff, and it's just getting more and more competitive each year. So you've got to ensure that, you know, you, you you can maintain that and stay in, and stay in that, and and hope that one day it'll be your chance to to go up. And you're about four days a week, are you now? You're not a full time team, but you're sort of heading that way. I would describe us as probably two thirds of the way there at this mm. moment in time. We, we're sort of bridging the gap. Um, so 
you know, when and if we do have to make that step up, it's not a, as big a step as just going from, you know, solely part-time to full-time. Tell us about some of your players as well, um, because some of them have demanding other jobs too. And it's important for us to reflect that, um, you know, certainly like a lot of sides in the championship, um, it is, you know, a part-time, maybe part-time plus is what I call you. I don't know. Um, But there are other responsibilities for players as well still. There is, but I don't think, you know, when you, when you unique in that sense, um, you know, we're pretty much most of the players in the championship and and maybe even still some in the WSL, we just don't know. Um, They've got, you know, we, we, we do have a lot of teaching staff who have obviously done an incredible job. We've got staff who work for the NHS. We've got a couple of players who who run that, run a business in terms of a, a pub and a hotel. Um, and we've got some others who are students as well. So they all have something going on. But in truth, they've worked incredibly hard and we've worked incredibly hard as a club to talk to employers to see actually what an opportunity you have. Do you know the kind of you know um, person you have working for you and what their profile is in the local area? And wouldn't it be great to, you know, to, to, to support them so they you know they can make that move to to, to full-time professional athletes if and when yeah. the opportunity arises interesting it's an interesting way to look at it um, an interesting approach tell us about your links with the university then and should we go back first of all and sort of talk about your your history with with, with the club because you're manager and founder right so you know you, you are Mr Durham aren't you <laughs> Yes, okay. I, you know, I was part of that that founding thing, and it's it's really sort of important to us that we do as well as well as we can, um, because we feel a responsibility to the area, to the northeast of England as well. But yes, it's very it's it's a passion for 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 us, truthfully. Yeah, it's just it's just hard to think of doing anything else, truthfully. Last season was a frustrating season for everyone in women's football. I think you finished third, Villa went up as champion, six points clear of the rest. So, you know, arguably you could have made a charge last season as well. Were you ever thinking about that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we, we, you know, the, the teams who were sort of nearer the top of the championship uh, uh, asked to, to make a, an application to ensure that you can, you know, be promoted if if and when the time comes. And, and we went through that process and we were very, very, very confident. Obviously, COVID happened and, and it was decided that the way it was decided and, and it was fair enough. And Aston Villa, you know, had a really good season last season. And, you know, I, I supported them going up to quite truthfully the, the way it was done. And we did still have to play them. Um <laughs> And there were other things that could have happened, but at the end of the day, nobody could have foreseen what was going to happen. So it was done fair and square. So you were putting through the paperwork to get a license for the WSL then last season. And is that the case this this season as well? What does your team have to do in order to get that license? Is that a very, you know, um, a very realistic aim for you if you're certainly if you stay top of the league as you are at the moment? Well, like you say, there's, you know, you've got the respect you know, Sheffield, Liverpool, Leicester, Lewis, uh, you know, having a good season, Blackburn are just starting to sort of come in, you know, come into the, to, to winning things in their own right. So it's going to be tough. And, and any any game in the championship is tough, as I think everybody's starting to see and appreciate a little bit more now. But we've, we'll make an application. Um, we've got absolutely outstanding training facilities. 
you know, private medical, you know, wraparound care for the players. We've got everything in place. We just need to obviously, you know, make that next step from being part-time to, to, to full-time staff and, and players. Because it's not just about the players. It's about the staff as well. We feel we can we can do that. At the end of the day, we're not going to have the millions and millions of of some clubs, but not every team's going to have that anyway, regardless whether they come up, regardless whether they're attached to a men's club. We've got a model that works, um, a model that has proven over time that it works. So it's not like we've just come into the league and we get, you know, we may get promoted. It's it's worked over time. You know, we don't have a high turnover of players. We don't have a high turnover of staff, which, you know, um, I think says a lot about the club and I think hopefully, you know, stands us in good stead if the opportunity comes along. And is there the investment there, do you think, Lee, in order for you to go full-time? Do you feel confident about that? Yeah, I do. The university were, you know, quite open to supporting us further than, you know, they do at the moment. Had we gone up last season, I don't think that will change. Uh, even with the COVID circumstances and we are as as a business, so I'll take the club side out of it as a business, bringing in additional invest, investment year on year through our partnerships. And then you've also got to look at, you know, you do get added, added value by going up anywhere. There are obviously interest in sponsorships and broadcast deals, hopefully, you know, on the table at the moment that may, that may bring even, even more in. So, yeah, I, I think we're we're ready. I think we're ready. And I think results against teams in the league above and, you know, teams who have gone up in, in, in recent years, I think have proven we can compete on, on that stage as well. Well, look, it's terrific to see you top of the championship. Um, it'll be an interesting season, still fairly early days, of course, but we wish you all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you. Thank you, Lee Sanders. Well, news just in, folks. Uh, We have just had the round of 32 draw for the Women's Champions League. Uh, The headlines from this one, of course, you've got Manchester City involved. They've been drawn against Gothenburg. Chelsea are going to take on Benfica and Glasgow City are paired with Sparta Prague. Lyon, who won the competition for a fifth year in a row, are going to face Juventus. Very tricky tie, that one, actually. These two-legged knockout ties will take place on December the 9th and 10th and 15th and 16th. Chloe, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Um, we must get you back on again. What's the um, what's the immediate plan for you? How much how much training time are you doing a week, and sort of how much legal time? And then you're also you also coach Gold Diggers FC as well, don't you? You do an absolute load. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's been quite a busy schedule this year. Um, but I think like in terms of what's what's happening um, for the immediate future, I think our next focus is now on on Liverpool um, on the sixth of December, which we're really looking forward to. And we've had a bit of a break now to kind of refresh, recharge, and and. Re- really go at that that game and, and give them a run for their money so um that's our that's our first focus excellent and tom when does this new role of yours start at the telegraph oh in the middle of december so i'm really looking forward to that so i should be in in place in time for the round of wsl games on the weekend of the 12th of december which um is a fantastic uh, time just for christmas to to get into the job so i'm feeling very very lucky and excited Oh, brilliant. Well, we'll say congratulations again for that. Um, we're also going to put our own plea out there, Tom, because we're, we're 
We're a bit like that. We'll go off the back of your good news and ask others to do some stuff for us too. Um, (laughs) We'd like to ask people to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them, please. It does help other people find them. We had some nice reviews recently, didn't we, Kate? Yes, we did. And uh, we'd also encourage you to pop over to the website too, offsiderulepodcast.com. Loads of great women's content. And not only do we get a five things summing up um, from Jesse Parker Humphreys, we also get a look at what happens in the European leagues as well and plenty more content. Don't forget, by the way, the top 100 female footballers for 2020 is on the way. Rich Laverty um, is in charge of that one and again, working with Guardian Sport. So um, the judges have all been confirmed. I think Rich is currently collating um, all the different points that have been awarded by the judges and you'll start to hear more as we get into December. It's usually a mammoth task, but it's an even more mammoth task this year. Um, and just because, as, as Chloe touched on, she's preparing for a match that's on the 6th of December, because we have another week next week where there's not much action, we have decided to do another Offside Rule exclusive. Hopefully you enjoyed the one with Natasha Dowie just a couple of weeks ago. And it's a friend of the show coming on for, for next time. I can't believe we haven't spoken to her already. Um, so next Tuesday, former Arsenal, Chelsea, Birmingham, England defender. Any ideas, Chloe? Oh, no, I'll let you do. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. Uh, Laura Bassett will be joining Kate tonight for another of our WSL exclusives. So we can't wait for that one. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Money Knees Media production. Money Knees Media.